Let me tell you about reality, Mickey. I lived through this, okay? Life is life. It doesn't imitate anything. Come on, Randy. With all due respect, the killer obviously patterned himself after two serial killers who have been immortalized on film. Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. The Hounds of Horror, 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 Horror. friends and welcome to the hounds of horror the show where gabriel ricard a teenager from the wrong side of the chino tracks finds himself in the well-to-do orange county taken in by a lawyer and his family gabe winds up in the midst of snarky wealthy high schoolers and their sun-drenched angst i'm chris bryant joining me is my friend and co-host gabe ricard that sounds so much better than, than the actual childhood that i had um i mean my childhood was fine but like yeah that sounds great do you write these before the show like, like that's where, do you, these, where do you get this shit from? It's not, it's none of your goddamn business. Also <laughs> joining us this evening is our friend, unofficial third hound, a man who's no stranger to the show. He's an actor. He's a director. Just a great guy. Professional about Jacob, welcome to the OC, bitch. <laughs> now that you found yourself at the table with us yet again, I, I bet you that Diane Sawyer interview is looking real good right about now. Oh my god, this is such an exciting episode. It, it, like this, this is, is it. This, this is, is it. This, this is, is the one, guys. This, this is, is your this moment. is your moment. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, if if I can spoil what um what this episode will be about for people who have clicked on the episode with the title of the movie involved, um, I, I scream is you know I'm not gonna say that it's not the best in the franchise, but this is my favorite one. I fuck I fucking love this movie. A lot of people um, it's Scream Two is one of those movies that's in that uh sequels that are better than the original conversation. Which is funny because the movie has that conversation. Um, right. Believe it or not, this is the most critically acclaimed uh, entry in the series. It's um, certainly has the highest rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a certified fresh rating of eighty one percent, which is, wow. uh, I believe, five points higher than the first Scream film, which would be the the second highest rated one in the franchise. I believe you're well, right. And, and what's what's really amazing to me about this movie is like it certainly had a lot going for it in terms of the resources that it was given and how much anticipation and support there was for it. It had so much going against it, though. And it's like really remarkable that we wound up with a movie this good. It came out just under a year, I think, like 363 yeah. days later or something. Yeah. Um, there was a massive script leak online and they had to change it. I think that the changes are drastically for the better. I've read that script and like like wow, what a lucky leak that like they I, rewrote I, it and we that's got That's actually this. really <laughs> That's actually really interesting because I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pick your brain about that cuz I have no I, I know nothing about the the original I just read about it tonight. It. I just read it. I I remember that script leak thing, but I did never really admitted they cared enough to go and find out what they had done differently and I actually read 
read about it tonight. I'm I, I'm very curious for your thoughts, Jacob, because I I some of the stuff they were originally going to do it was uh just it would have been a very different movie, I think. Yeah. Um. So I you know I, I think un- until you get to the the ending, it was more or less the same movie. The ending itself, uh, instead of two killers, there were four, and it was much oh. more of a conspiracy. And for me, like what was on the page was that s- certain characters that are revealed to be the killers just kind of become these like snarling like demons and like they like there's like not even really everybody isn't getting like explanations for what the hell is going on it's just like oh and now this person is coming at him and and it, and it ends on like a very very bleak um note uh, where it's it's sort of suggested that sydney is is dead or dying as the movie is fading out um and it's it's it was just like kind of this big mess um and and some of the ideas from that original ending made it in but it's it's just so much more clean <laughs> the way that it is and i think makes sense um i know that not everybody is satisfied by the killer reveal in this one i think it it's fine i i think that at least the to, you know, in my mind, the the main killer, uh, Laurie Metcalf, has the best motive in the franchise. I would certainly say so. Yeah. My one of I forgot. I I I'm sorry. She always gets stuck playing psychopaths. You know, because but god damn, she's good at it. She's uh, great at everything. I've seen her on. I saw her on Broadway doing Misery, and and I've seen you know uh, Scream Two, and what am I forgetting here? Oh, Toy Story. She's definitely psychotic in that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> she's definitely she's definitely got a secret life um, just her just her face in that finale like her her, her, her she's, definitely, she's definitely leveraging custody of her child over uh andy's father who she recently divorced <laughs> uh, they don't say it explicitly but you know rather than uh talk about i know we've been talking about what scream 2 could have been let's get right into it and talk about what scream 2 was as jacob already mentioned uh the film we are talking about is one that's near and dear to his heart it's 1997 scream 2 once again directed by wes craven once again written by kevin williamson it stars deep breath nev campbell david arquette courtney cox sarah michelle geller jamie kennedy laurie metcalf jerry o'connell elise neal timothy oliphant jada pinkett smith joshua jackson david warner portia de rossi rebecca gayhar omar epps and liev schreiber uh, as jacob also mentioned it was released less than one year after the first film but it takes place two years after the first film and it again follows the character of sydney and other survivors of the woodsboro massacre they are now at the fictional windsor college in ohio where they they are targeted by a copycat killer using the ghost face moniker. Like its predecessor, Scream 2 combines the violence of the slasher genre with elements of satire and the whole whodunit mystery while parodying like the whole cliches of the film sequels, uh, the sequels to slasher films that you would see. Jacob also referenced the rushed schedule and despite that rushed schedule, it remains to be many to many people, um, Jacob included, their favorite entry in the series. A lot of things that are happening in this film we know that we're no longer in the mid 90s and we're now in the late 90s because all the surviving female cast members have cute little bob haircuts yes Um, they do i miss those haircuts i do too i think courtney cox has never looked better than she did in this film but that's just me the bob haircut with the red highlights that was just peak 1997 that's good shit it was good shit man and like i like i also said this remains the most critically acclaimed film in the franchise and it is interesting because as jacob brought up it was very 
very rushed. Uh, it was a completely different movie, well, at least until the ending. It has no right to be as good as it is, because in almost None. every other story of, well, we rushed the sequel out the door, it's disaster. It helps that Kevin Williamson had had apparently had at least had some ideas down right. for sequels. Um, so, I mean, it's... It, it, but in this case, it was smart. It was smart to just jump right back in and do it again. No, because, um, like, the, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, you know? You they had the momentum. It. Momentum was on their side, and they took advantage of it. And you see that in the movie. Everybody's, like, that energy from the first one carries over really well. It does, man. Uh, yeah, I agree. You could definitely tell they were in a groove. Because Wes Craven, very rarely does Wes Craven do, at this point in his career, does he do sequels? He did Wes Craven's New Nightmare. That was 10 years after the first Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yeah. This time, he's doing a, he's doing a sequel less than a year after the first one. So he's found himself in a situation where these are, you know, not just like the, the cast, but many me- aspects of the crew. These are people that he, he, he had just worked with. So he's coming off of that. Then yeah. you have Kevin Williamson, who not only did he do Scream, but in the time since the first Scream, he had a regular writing job on Dawson's Creek where he's in the writer's room turning in scripts on a weekly basis. And he had also done uh, a, a whole slew. I believe he did I Know What You Did Last Summer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, but between Scream 1 and Scream 2. So he, at this point, he is like a workhorse. So you have all these these elements that, that made the script that made the first scream work they've just been sharpening their instruments over you know the course of of 11 months and then burnout, you get burnout has not happened yet no no it, it, I, perhaps that's has to do with the fact that you'll hear david arquette say it, you'll hear nev campbell say it they all had a tremendous amount of fun working on the first scream it yeah. was not a chaotic production that you know that whole final act took them an awful long time to film but you never get the sense that it was something that was a chore. Like you said in the last episode, Gabe, they had t-shirts made of it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like typically well, something you do to commemorate a, a good time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that this was a situation where there was any burnout uh, present. Wes Craven, well, I mean, Wes Craven famously um, ran a, ran sets that were fun to work on. People liked working on his movies. Um Offhand, I can't recall anybody who had a significant problem working with Wes Craven on a movie, um, no. with the possible exception of Sharon Stone. Um, <laughs> and we didn't get to that, but that's why that line is in Scream, by the way, because she was married to a friend of his. Is that how I, I didn't know that? Uh, she had some prior relationship with him. I don't remember. I, I'm I'm blanking on the specifics of it now. But she was in one of his early movies. She's in Deadly Friend, I think. I don't believe. I don't believe Deadly Friend. It may be something else. I've seen Deadly Friend a thousand times, and I detect no Sharon Stone in that one. But I don't doubt that she was in one of Deadly his. Deadly Blessing. Pardon my. There we go. Yeah, he made a lot of films in the early to mid '80s. Man, he was cranking out a lot of stuff. Yeah, but the reference to her is, you know, to to my mind, pretty complimentary. You know, <laughs> like, it is. Yeah, <laughs> there are several references. I just looked it. I looked it up because I was curious. the The ru- persisting rumor is that Sharon Stone was friends with Mimi with uh, with uh, Wes Craven's wife. Mm-hmm. And that she may have encouraged him to her to leave Wes Craven. Incredible! What a bitch! 
<laughs> I'm probably getting that wrong. So yeah, I, I can't believe Twitter. that Sharon Stone single-handedly broke up their marriage by saying <laughs> that Wes's wife should yeah. do that. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> I also think it's incredible that we exercise so much restraint restraint to tr- refrain from talking about Scream 2 in the Scream 1 episode and here we are <laughs> talking about Scream 1. I forgot. <laughs> I was I you know, I, it's it's fine. It's fine. We're all we're still talking about Scream 2. It's fine. It's Everything is okay. Great. Yeah, it's going to be it's probably going to be okay. Um yeah, no. So, Scream 2. Scream 2. Yeah. Scream 2. You know what, man? Um I enjoy Scream 2. I have I watched it today. It's great. It's great. I, as an entirety, I am not a, fran- a fan of the Scream franchise, but I adore the first two Scream films, and I think I go back and forth on which one I like better. Part of me feels like the first Scream is tighter and like a, just oh, a, absolutely. a more well-made film. I think but- I like Scream 2 more, and maybe it's just because I just I rewatched it today for the, for the show, uh, but I don't know. I think I like it more. You know what I really I love about it is its size. There's the the scale of it. It's it's almost it's, like a like a Jallo in its scale. Like there's yeah, it's full of yeah, these set pieces, yeah, you know, like yeah, these awesome yeah. set pieces. Like the like the great sequence with Sarah Michelle Geller. I'm not gonna skip past her. We're going back to her. Um, you know, <laughs> Gail's amazing chase through the whole like the recording booth, and, and then like God, like the the tense sequence in the cop car, and you know, we open in a theater the, and the we theater end scene, in the, the yeah, scene, the scene yeah, the yeah, we open in a theater, we end in a theater um, on stage. It's it's just like it's got this scale, this this operatic quality. Oh, interesting. I, I love I it. Never thought about that. That's really good. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. It's almost an American uh, gallo in a way. Yeah, I definitely, there's, um, yeah, I could definitely see that. I don't know, man. I, to me, it's. I definitely think that the first scream is is, is a, a more well made film. But like you said, yeah. uh, Jacob, um, it is. It's big. It's vast. Like fucking for Christ's sakes, it took me ten minutes to read that fucking that cast, and those are just yeah. like the notable names. You know, what I mean, there's so many. We other didn't people. even cover the cameos or right. l- like Matthew Lillard. I <laughs> forgot. I forgot Matthew Lillard has a cameo in this in a crowd scene at a frat party. Oh shit. I- He's where he's got like some blonde hair shit. Um, yeah, I knew this. I forgot it, and then I was reading up on the movie tonight before the show, and I was like, "No fucking way!" And I went and looked for a picture, and sure enough, it, it's it's not only is he kind of like obscured by the fact that the 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 background is is not in focus, is not fully in focus, but it's yeah. literally a second. Wow. Yeah. No, I've I have never once caught him in the movie, and I even know where to look. But I'm always just swept along by the movie, and then I'm like, "Oh no, that that would have been it." I'm not going back. Yeah. I had to go look for a picture because I was right. I, had, I was I and I also didn't realize that Wes Craven had a cameo in this one too. He's the janitor in the first one, mm-hmm. and in this one, he's in uh, a hospital scene. He is, yeah. You know, oh. I fucking you know, I really um, I hate that I'm even doing this. I I wanted to touch on it when we did the episode on the first screen and it was just one of the things that like much like what you forgot to to t- uh, bring up Gabe about Sharon Stone this was something that was in the back of my mind that I was meaning to touch on and we just didn't get to it in the first scream that was that that cameo the West uh, Craven cameo you're talking about yes sir it pisses me off to no end that the janitor the Freddy Krueger janitor could hear Henry Winkler whispering <laughs> profanity under his breath but he could not hear the guy screaming fucking bloody murder for his life in the next room while he's getting gutted oh he and was he was blackout drunk by then like you know how high school janitors are it was yeah. it, it was it was 45 seconds in real time <laughs> later 
But I mean, maybe that's all. all maybe that's all. It took. All right, Randy. No, he was he was auto erotic asphyxiating himself. <laughs> oh man! No, not Randy. Not the worst thing a human being could possibly be in Scream Two. Yeah, a film school student. Randy, <laughs> if Randy was alive in 2022, Randy would have a horror movie podcast. Yeah, he would. He would have a letterboxed. <laughs> Which I do not have. I I don't have that because I don't need another social media site. I don't. I don't. Oh, yeah. No, me neither. What? No. um, (laughs) If Randy was alive in 2022, I'm almost positive Randy would have been me tooed. Oh, yeah. You know, um, it seems like we're comfy just jumping around here. (laughs) We are. We're we're, going to touch on the plot in a minute once we get it all out of our system. Don't you worry, you're pretty little Ed. I I know within the broader screen fandom, killing Randy off in this movie is not a popular move, and people see it as this huge fumble in in part two, and I cannot disagree more with that. Number one, a a really important part of Scream is that there is a cost to these things. You know, you're going to lose some characters that you like, um, and that's part of the weight that comes with with making these such a satisfying experience number two the character had truly served his purpose by then of like helping us to what this is how this operates number three he had become such a fucking prick by that point like yeah i was ready i i I think they made the right call um i think that he remains an iconic character in the series um he does he even got got to come back in a way right it's a terrible way but it it happens but shoehorned fucking bullshit way i know i know guys in the last episode i i had said that he that randy was more tolerable in the first scream than he was in the second one and it's not even it's not even you know whatever pubic hair thing he had going on his chin in the sequel has nothing to do with that it has to do the thing that really just irks me the horrible british accent that he does for no reason in the, early in the film apparently yeah, he ha- apparently jamie kennedy has no idea why he did that you know what it was like i and i it's just he's he's that kind of guy he's just always fucking around on set honestly i i've gotten the impression that maybe wes craven was a little bit happy to write him out of this one um, <laughs> but he he's you know he's he's a very improvish actor he likes to do things like that and yeah. what i've heard is that they had to do that because it's a long tracking shot in the beginning when we're like kind of catching up with the gang yeah. and that's when he's doing this british accent for just inscrutable reasons it's like why would you be doing this and they had just done it so many times that jamie kennedy just started doing that and then that was the best take like that's the one where it all lined up and they had to move on so that's what yeah. they did <laughs> incredible i i was just gonna say i because i was curious about that and i looked it up and apparently as i said uh jamie kennedy has no idea why he did that yeah neither do i <laughs> yeah, um, <no. laughs> but uh, you know another thing that just kind of i just found weird in the first scream uh, jacob you can fact check me and uh, keep me honest here the the randy character like he's not like obsessively pining for sydney like it's not like he's not like you know it's not a situation where it's like she's the one and 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 and, you know nice guys finish last but here he's like it's constantly making remarks about how you know if i would have if i would have written the story the geek would have got the girl and you know what i mean like yes i mean it's his crush on sydney is definitely established in the first one yeah but he's also he's graduated from a pretty minor 
character to one of the main players, at least for the first half of the movie here. So we get a lot more insight into Randy as, you know, who he is, other than just how he functions in his little role in the first one, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that guy is less likable. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same character it doesn't feel like a different character it's just- it's, it's a less it's he's definitely a less is more character and and it's i understand why people like him but yeah. there's really not I, for all uh, for all kidding aside um but no seriously it's great when he dies um <laughs> all kidding aside um i understand why people like randy as a character and i understand why they're upset about it they're wrong they're but wrong. i had they're wrong but yeah, i understand I, I think um, he exited at the right time right. i think he did yeah and i also think what makes him less likable in this one is there was like there was like a pitifulness like he was like a pitiful character in the first one like you really you know he really was a fucking geek and he you kind of like i said what what is the character what is the relationship dynamic that they're hanging out with this fucking guy whereas in this one he kind of seems a little bit full of himself like he's got he's he learned nothing from his near-death experience he's very arrogant like there's like scenes where you know they're kicking around in that film theory class with uh, Buffy and Pacey and they're just fucking you know shooting the shit about sequels which is a maddening scene that drives me up the fucking wall I'm sorry I hate that that scene I hate that scene so much I just it it just rolls over me like a wave I'm like oh look there's Sarah (laughs) I get why the scenes in the movie I just don't like I don't like it I don't like it it's not not really necessary It's, it's like a, it's a fun little, you know, cameo melange. It's, a little, uh, it's almost a little Tarantino. I hate to use it. It's a little Tarantino ask. It is. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that because it's just it's just shoehorned dialogue. Because we see Randy and we we meet Mickey for the first time. They're in that class for some reason. They're just having the stupidest debate about sequels that doesn't feel. I don't think any film class is going to just like a, a, any film theory class. I didn't go to college, but I don't. It it, it just this suddenly has, starts having this conversation that at best you. Might maybe have on like day one right or a fun friday <laughs> yeah like, they're having a serious ass debate about yeah. sequels and the teacher's like i don't care i have tenure yeah, yeah. he's the cool teacher He's it's, the cool teacher. Actually, yeah, it's, that's not true. The cool teacher is David Warner, but we'll get. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. yes. We will we'll definitely scene. get to that. It's just that whole scene was like a very tongue-in-cheek week at the camera. That's basically telling the audience, "Hey, this is a sequel, and because this is a scream film, we're going to dissect what a sequel is." But you know, I think that's the strength of the first film over the second film is a lot of those moments where they're making that type of commentary. It feels more earned and natural. It's more organic. Yes. Right. Yeah. Whereas in this film it's all just like blatant like i don't know you you it, guys it, get no where... it is no 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 you're right and i think that's it's that's the beginning of the end for the franchise because for me mm-hmm. because it's fine in scream 2 because it only really comes up sporadically um and for the most part it's fine when it does but then you have scream 3 which is a movie that's seemingly almost entirely like that i think what saves it in scream 2 is that most of it does originate with Randy, and Randy is this film student character who is also starting to grade on our nerves, you know? And... (laughs) Yeah, and um, I, I think they mostly get that stuff out of their system in the in the film class scene, and then um, a little later in the Randy and Dewey scene when they're you know running down the rules. 
rules. Which and was I, fun. I like that. I do like that scene where it's like, maybe you're the killer. Oh, maybe right. you're the killer. All right, let's change the subject. Yeah. But, and then after Randy is killed, we get none of that for the duration of the film for the next 60 something. <laughs> and it becomes a very, it becomes a very top thriller. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but going back to that scene you, you brought up though, that scene with Randy and Dewey, let me just tell you another thing that, and keep in mind, I love this movie. It's a great movie, but I'm just going to get some of the negatives out of the way. They fucking cast Tori Spelling in Stab. Like, what a wasted opportunity to have Jennifer Love Hewitt in that fucking moment. They might have, hell, they might have asked her. You never, I have no idea. Well, you, you know, it's like, it's the callback to the first one, right? It's oh, like the jo- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the joke from the oh. first one where... Sydney says, with her luck, if they made a movie, they'd cast Tori Spelling. Yeah. And actually... Who was a good sport to come in and do that, too. And and actually, and Nev Campbell actually, like, really didn't want to say that and, like, called Tori Spelling, called Tori Spelling crying after she filmed it. Like, I'm so sorry they made me film this. I didn't want to do it. And Tori, yeah, was a great sport about it. That's great. (laughs) That's great. I forgot about that. Yep. Yep. Luke, Luke, yeah, that's a good point. I completely forgot about that. Luke Wilson as Billy was another odd choice, though. (laughs) was a very odd choice and it's i love i love luke wilson's career at this time was 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 really interesting yeah because i think he had, i think he did rushmore around the same time yeah you, you um, know what i liked about like the I, I i think that the stab stuff definitely is affects the other sequels mostly for the worse but what i what is so good about it in this one is that it looks like a shitty movie and and it's the same as scream but it's just it's not done right and it's it just it's i don't know maybe it's, and it's very like yeah maybe it's a little bit self-congratulatory of craven you know to be like look who look how badly this could have been fucked up you know? <laughs> i wouldn't have been surprised if 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 Wes craven was like yeah that's going in <laughs> and it, it, it's astounding to me because I mentioned it in the last episode how there's no way that scene where in where they're where they're doing stab and Heather Graham is playing the Casey character. There's no way that they would have had that dialogue. That no, there, nobody nobody lived to tell the tale of that that conversation. So it, it, seeing it in, in the latter half of the film when we see Luke Wilson reciting to the T the "That's the way the cookie crumbles" line, you know. <laughs> Like we we know we know that Sydney was not happy about the fucking we know that Sydney was not a ghostwriter for Gail for you know Gail Weathers like she was not happy about that book being released she wasn't happy about this movie. she had no involvement. There's a scene actually. There's a deleted scene. Uh, oh, is this there? Is true. No. Yes. No need to look this up. It's true. Uh, where where Gail calls Sydney and she's whacked out on painkillers. It's like a, the day after Scream One. And she is just stoned to the fucking nines. And she tells her all the dialogue, all the stuff that made it into the book. You're That's lying. That, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Look it up. Don't look it up. Don't, don't look. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, look it up in about 45 minutes when I have a chance to jump on Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> but no, you're right. You're right. It's, um, yeah, I never liked, I never really liked all the stab stuff. And that just gets worse as that series goes on the thing that bothers me the most about the stab stuff isn't even okay so let me rewind a little bit let's talk about the beginning of the movie because the beginning of this film and all the stuff centered around them seeing stab in the theater gives me such a fucking anxiety attack every time i watch it i think it's Uh, so good though i think it's a fantastic opening i think it's different from the original while still giving you you know kind of the same but different bigger um and and it takes terrifying go ahead uh, terrifying and like and you know 
with with um the way that the world has changed and with you know all of the awareness that we've gained um it's it's really startling to see a black woman murdered and screaming in front of this crowd of like sobered people who finally realize that it's too late to help them yeah that's great that's that's fucking jada pinkett smith apparently went to west craven and said i want the nastiest fucking death you could put on screen yeah I believe it, man. She's certainly good in it, in that scene. She's certainly good. I just, it gives me a fucking anxiety attack. Not because I think it doesn't make sense. It's, it's If I went to a fucking movie, especially a horror movie in the year 1997, and everybody's acting like they're at the fucking Phantom Menace premiere, and they're just running around like, you know what I mean? The, the, the credits were already, ro- the opening credits were already rolling while these assholes are running up and down the fucking theater aisles and shit like that. Like, it would piss me off to no end. Like, it gives me like the worst insight i'm talking about safety brothers fucking yeah uh, you know what i mean like that's what seeing, that's what seeing freddy versus jason was like for me um <laughs> except worse um yeah. they i don't know how they did it they 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 had people sitting in the aisles for that goddamn movie oh my god um it was the wildest and most pat it was like that opening scene on scream but amped up in every possible way yeah um and you're right no and, and the only other movie i've ever seen that comes close to that was um rob zombies halloween which got really interesting about 30 minutes in when half the audience probably more than half the audience decided that this was not the movie they had paid to see <laughs> and it got ugly <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I wish that I had been in a theater just to see the crowd turn on it. That would have been something. It was stressful, and I didn't yeah. have a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I turned yeah, on yeah, it pretty it's, quickly myself. It's it's a fantastic opening. It's it's like I was saying. It's it's just one of like the many great big set pieces in this movie. Um, and, and the balls on the movie too for like having this whole thing about black people in horror movies mm-hmm. and then what did they do they killed the two ma- most significant um not because i know there's a, a couple more uh, yeah yeah they, they, they give themselves a little backdoor out of that but no, they, 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 they kill all of the significant black characters in the film like they they do they the do first but, two but and sydney's best friend yeah because sydney's best friend suffers for the curse of not only being black in a horror film but she's also the final girl's best friend i know so you yeah. know what i mean like she yeah. like she was done for poor thing yeah. you know what plus I mean? plus her character is uh, honestly like kind of a victim of the the rewrites that the movie had to go through her part yeah. got cut back she was going to be one of the killers in the original but also what was on the page for her was very unmotivated and she was just kind of like <laughs> basically yeah how I, how I recall it um, it's it's one of the but, few weak scenes in the movie because they really telegraph her death too yeah but i i think that the, the moment leading up to it is so good um yeah. yeah like she gets that great scene in the back of the car which you know 1997 sarah michelle geller had that um her fucking amazing chase and i know what you did last summer she was in the back of a cop car too it's just kind of like a you know young women if you get into the back of a police car you will be in mortal danger there was a fourth person of color in the film uh the cameraman amazing amazing yes now 
I don't think it, I don't think this is appreciated enough, but in stand-up comedy, there was like a reoccurring. Several different comedians have like told some variation of this joke, where you know horror movies, white people, they just be doing the stupidest shit. You know, black people, we get the fuck out of there. So that's why this cameraman is like, I quit, I'm done, peace, and then he right. survives because yep. he gets the fuck out of there. Yeah, that right. was pretty a interesting. Great, great performance <laughs> by great performance by Dwayne Martin. Yeah. And you know what? Um, I, I'm just going to call it. He he takes over the mantle as Randy because he applies his knowledge of horror films yes. in a way that he uses to survive. So he yes, actually a smart surpasses, <laughs> surpasses what Randy was able to accomplish. Um, yeah, I like that character a ton. It, I mean, it's smart that he, he got the fuck out of Dodge, but I would have loved to have seen him, you know, more, but that might have been to his detriment. But I think they should have had one more scene, like, like, and I know they didn't do this really in, in the mid-90s, in the late 90s, uh, the the, po- the dreaded mid-credits scene. <laughs> but um, they should have had him, like, a mid-credits scene of him sitting in a diner and reading the paper and just going, yeah, I fucking knew it. <laughs> Um, that was one of my big takeaways from rewatching it today. Was um, I kind of in the in the sheer overwhelmingness uh, of everything that goes on in Scream Two? Um, I'd kind of forgotten about the cameraman. Yeah, yeah. and and he's it's, great. Yeah, it's he's great. It's one of my new favorite things in Scream Two. And you just know, like in your mind, when he first pops up, you know, you know that the first cameraman from the previous film got his his throat slashed. You see this guy, and you're just like, yeah, he's definitely done for you wouldn't have pegged him for being one of the remaining survivors at the film but i'm glad that they you know they let him to live to see another day i don't believe he was in any of the sequels was he jacob no, no. yeah he, he wasn't in any of the sequels i i still think it would be you know at least for a fan like me it would be a cool card for them to pull out at some point but i also love that he's not in any of the sequels because yeah he would stay the fuck away like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he he moved to a different country yeah his phone number is unlisted <laughs> <laughs> like once he's no longer gail weather's cameraman and by the third movie she'd have no need of a cameraman anymore so like yeah what no bye <laughs> it and it's funny that the movie did that and it it's one of the things that does that the movie doesn't get credit for and because you see it a little bit now we were even talking about that uh chris when we did our episode on men because men kind of has a moment not men i'm sorry uh fresh right fresh has a moment with where it kind of leans into that trope too and get out did that too in a much uh bigger and more effective way but scream 2 was one of the first movies that i i off the top of my head to actually like directly deal with black people in horror movie tropes and granted it's written it's written in by a white guy and directed by a white guy right but it's pretty well done for the most part and I gotta give it credit. I had the stuff with the stuff with Dwayne Martin is just was really smart and really funny and understated, which is not something you normally associate with Scream Two. Oh, and then no. and the movie makes makes space for it as like a, a nice like kind of runner. Like it, it starts the film and and actually um, Joel does he does come back really briefly at the end. Like once he knows that the killers are dead, he comes back to help Gail out in filming. But then she she opts to go off with. Dewey and a really wonderful end to their arcs. I, you know, I, I think one thing that this movie can offer that really makes it substantial and of value is the way that it progresses the core characters from the original. Yeah. Um, it does. It takes us to a stronger Sidney Prescott. It takes us to a more humane Gale. Um, Dewey is pretty much perfect. 
Um, but, you know, he continues to be resilient and he kind of gets the big win of Gail actually leaving this lucrative story to be with him instead. Do he become more confident in himself? As, right. As, as, although I read, um, there's a thing on Wic- on IMDb in the trivia section for this for Scream 2 that I'm not really sure why it's there. I'll, 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 I'll let you guys go look it up afterwards. But some some maniac went into the Scream 2 uh, trivia section and wrote an extremely long paragraph about why Dewey is a terrible detective. <laughs> That's hardly very fair at all. It's like, four, I'm looking at it now, it is approximately two to three hundred words. Jesus Christ. Like, somebody had way too much fucking time on their hands. Yeah. Also, like, I, Dewey is, I know that he, like, he's a police officer in the first movie. His character really never tries to play detective. If anything, he tries to play protector. Right. But he's not trying to solve the damn thing. <laughs> no, he's just trying to protect, every, you know, Sydney. I do like the, I do like Gale and Dewey's relationship in this one. In the first one, you know, they had this blossoming romance. And they're, like you had mentioned in the last episode, Jacob, there was, like, this intrigue from from gail but when we see their relationship in this one it starts off estranged and they let you know that by way of dewey's very angsty banter with gail and then you have that fake version of uh, angelo badalamenti's twin peaks theme that plays every single time right. you share a scene together <laughs> Um, I love that music. I love that music. Yeah, yeah. That, it's funny that they that there's a, a Gale and Dewey theme. It's like the most prominent, as prominent in this one as Red Right Hand was in the fucking first one. Right. It it plays so many times over the course of the movie during these tender moments where it's just the two of them, and it stops being about everything that's going on. It stops being about the killer. It stops being about Sydney, and for just those brief moments, it's about Dewey and Gale. I don't know. I I said in the last episode that their relationship was one of the most charming aspects of the film Absolutely. and it is the, yeah. the closest thing the only thing we really have to a love story in these films because sydney for her being the final girl every relationship she ever has in these films are doomed to fail i know she's like james you know I mean? bond it's it sucks. right <laughs> It and, sucks. And I, I I love the the very pointed difference in how Gail handles the endings of in part one. She Dewey she doesn't even see him being wheeled out of the house. She's covering the story. And at yeah. the end of this one she leaves the story to be with him. And that's that's development, you know? That's Oh yeah, big time. That that, that says it all. Um and, and with Sydney, like, God, her love story in this one is so tragic. I think that Derek was like he was the one, you know? Um yeah. and she wasn't able to to trust it because of these like extenuating circumstances it's incredibly tragic i think it works and the scene where he sings to her in the cafeteria does not bother me at all i would fall for that corny shit in a heartbeat well that that makes one of us brother because even 14 year old me knew that was peak cringe content right there yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> although, so although much, so- great it's it's fun jerry o'connell is as probably the most likable himbo in id slasher history. Yeah, it's 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 a yeah. grand romantic gesture for a girl who really really needs it yeah you know like he's a good boyfriend he is we were heather and i were watching it last night we were watching scream 2 because heather hadn't seen the films 
since it came out. She, her memory is terrible when it comes to shit like this. She hadn't, she didn't even remember who the killers were. And she was like, it's him, wasn't it? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to say whether or not he I is hate the killer. It. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it when, I'll tell I hate you this it when much. they ask us that. It's, yeah. it's, 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 are they the killer? I'm like, you don't want me to fucking tell you. You don't. Why right. You exactly. I, I said, I'm not going to tell you that, but I'll tell you this much. That's the fat kid from Stand By Me. And she goes, oh, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jim. Yeah, good for him. He's hot as fuck in this movie. Oh my god, he's a good looking dude. He is, yeah. and he's gonna be a doctor. Yeah, yes. he's going to be a doctor. Sure. He's he's, yeah. he's gonna be a big fucking W for Sydney until Mickey ruins it. Yeah. Oh, Mickey. Yeah, man. I, listen, I'm not even going to attempt to go through the plot in a linear order with this one because we've, it's so we've big. Shit We're the just bad on this one. Yeah. Let's just fucking talk about him as we as we think of it. But let's talk about Timothy Oliphant in one of his earlier roles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say that Mickey is. I, I don't have a problem with him. I would say that he's one of the weaker elements of the film. Um. I. He's. You know. He's a lot less motivated than Mrs. Loomis obviously so what we Metcalf even comments on that when she right. shoots him she's like you know his motive was shit so I'm gonna just kill him and be done with him right um and so what we do get from him is a bit of a rehash um right. he, he's used as a bit of a cheat because we don't really see a lot of him and he's you know there's so much else going on that it's very easy to lose track of him and then by the time he's revealed it's like oh yeah of course you had time to do all that shit I haven't been thinking of you for an hour right. um but I, it, he doesn't bother me you know I, I would say he's one of the less, you know, accomplished aspects of the film, but I, I think he does. I liked work. him. It was a perfect. I liked him. It was a perfect. Um, when you find out who the real like mastermind of all this is, it the character makes perfect sense. Right, and I I, I believe that Mrs. Loomis killed Randy, and maybe I don't even know if I think she really got anybody else. I do think that Mickey was doing most the, the heavy lifting it's, it's, in this it's one. It's a nice callback to the first one, Mickey. It's yeah. a good callback right. to the first one because it's because obviously, like when you've got Billy and Stu, you've got Billy. Billy's the one calling the shots billy's the one taking this like crazy little uh this crazy little fucking rodent and like just directing him at things that he, the things he wants to kill right um, and it's really cool i don't know how intentional this was it's really cool to see billy's mom doing basically the same thing with mickey and but then just like going i'm done with him well and, and they've got a solid plan because she knows that she can't get close to sydney but she can get close to gail so she's where working them from that angle mickey's working them from within the sydney friend group so they there's actually a a well thought out um i think much like in the first one you know there's there's a good implied off-screen dynamic that we don't see that makes a lot of sense and is also kind of icky in its own way i do think uh jacob you're right she mrs loomis definitely did kill uh randy i also believe she killed hallie based on just what i pieced together Ghostface, the Ghostface that killed Hallie looked a little bit sleeker than the same one that killed, that had fucking picked up Cece and threw her over a balcony. Oh wait, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, Cece because it pisses me uh. off to no end that these fucking movies won't let Sarah Michelle Geller be a fucking final girl. Don't tell me, don't come at me and tell me Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the final girl. Joss Whedon took that from us. You know what, um, when I first saw this movie, and, and Sarah Michelle Geller is at the peak of her powers in this this movie she's got her buffy season two hair 
she was yeah. crushed. She, yeah. she was crushing it in '97, and to to see her get off, but like so early, was absolutely shocking to me. It, it yeah. was like as yeah. brutal to me as the Drew Barrymore scene um, in the first. Maybe one. more. So, uh, I, she was. She yeah, was so much more. And she was Buffy to yeah. me. Like like she was Buffy. Like I was like, what the fuck? You know, like this, and it's a great scene. Like she she has, I think, just maybe like eight or nine minutes of screen time total, whole movie, and she's one of the most memorable elements in the franchise and you have to remember like drew barrymore was just starting her comeback at the time she shot her scene for scream so there was a recognizable factor of course but she wasn't like she wasn't we keep using the word zeitgeist and i can't think of a better word but she wasn't in the the zeitgeist like sarah michelle geller was like i wasn't even that big of a buffy fan but even I was, I, I knew enough about the show and I knew enough about her to just be absolutely gobsmacked when, when she gets killed and she dies early on at that. And it's a great sequence. It's it's like, it's kind of, it gives you that little bit of your classic ghost face phone call fix from the first yeah. one. It's really our only scene that does that kind of callback. But then it's got, it, it's at its own chase and momentum. Um, I would say it's, you know, in scope, the lesser of her two chase sequences from that year with I Know What You Did Less summer but it's it's mm-hmm. no less cannily executed it's great it's tense it's terrifying it leads to this dead end um and brutal finish i want to call bullshit on this though because jada pinkett smith's character her name is maureen sarah michelle geller's character her name is cc but we would later find out that cc is short for casey and so gail manages to deduce the fact that the killer is targeting people named after the events I, of the first was screen, not yeah, which uh, is this part we well, didn't <laughs> Well, it's because they establish that and then immediately give up on it. Right. Like they, yeah. There's no, uh, we don't see, like, we could have seen, like, news completely unrelated to the main cast. We could have seen, like, news reports of, you know, somebody who had the same name as fucking Henry Winkler's principal or, you know what I mean? But we didn't really get any of that. They just kind of like, okay, here's these two. We're going to introduce this plot thread and then do nothing with it. Everybody else that is killed throughout the remainder of the movie is completely new character name and, and see this is a little bit of the curse of the rush job because i honestly think it could have been fixed with just a line or two of dialogue about right kind of like creating confusion throwing them off the trail of what these killers actual goal is which is to divide and conquer the survivors from woodsboro um but it you know it is what we, it we, is we it, it doesn't really work the way that it is but at least it doesn't take up too much of our no. time we got to go back in time and find out, find whoever uh, leaked that original script and uh, and bring bring the pain. Uh, <laughs> well, honestly, I, I I might give them kind of a sloppy blowjob for getting that ending changed. But <laughs> there you go, and I'll hold the camera. All um, right, and then I will <laughs> pop out of the closet with the golf club and just go the fuck is wrong with you this is why we can't have nice things an early example of the internet ruining everything another thing that this uh film kind of really popularized was every horror movie from the late 90s through the late 2000s needed to have a soundtrack that was now this is what we call pop punk music volume whatever (laughs) 
I think yeah, this is the first this, one where you really see that in action. Yeah, this one is it's a lot more needle droppy than the first. It's, for it's, sure. it's definitely yeah. they're definitely knowing they definitely know the movie they're making at this point, and so the sound and the soundtrack reflects that because it's I it's it's definitely a this will be good for the sound. Remember when people bought soundtracks for movies? Um, I, I was one of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, me, oh, me too. But that was definitely more of a oh, this is going to be good on the soundtrack kind of thing because at this point right. everybody understands the power that these movies have um and it's a testament to the to scream 2 that it almost made the same amount of money as the first one yeah um i think it made a little less than uh or sorry i think it made less than i think somewhere in the neighborhood of like six hundred thousand six hundred thousand dollars you know um this was also one of the first uh films that was available for streaming people don't realize that but in uh 1998 aol you could pay to stream this movie via aol didn't Um, know that yeah that must have been a miserable experience it had to have been it had to have been uh, yeah (laughs) Yeah, because now streaming is the standard. So this fucking franchise is just, you know, breaking down all the fucking doors, man. Apparently. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Nev Campbell because I feel like we've we, we've given her some flowers, but she she deserves a, a little bit more specific. As I, I think, um, you know, she's, she's... She doesn't get lost in the shuffle. No, and, and I do think that this is maybe just a little bit more Courtney Cox's movie. Um, I think that she has a little bit more of a, a larger journey, I'll yeah. say. But for Nev, I, I think that this is the the movie that really like cements Sydney Prescott as a final girl that can kind of like rival the legacy of Laurie Strode, you know. And she does have some scene chewing scenes, yeah. right? No, she like she's a badass, dangerous woman by the end of part one. But she also spends a lot of part one um, in you know fear, trauma, victim mode. In this movie, there's a resolve. Um, sometimes there's a. a you know, she like threatens to to fall into you know despair at times, but she always keeps it moving. Um, it's and, nice. It's, and, you see a character right. who gets affected by these things, but is not like rendered uh, useless or no, never. No, she she remains proactive yeah. yep, for this exactly. entire movie and very like come and get me, motherfucker, because I'll end it right now. And she does because Sydney Prescott is a dangerous woman. And I will say what I found very refreshing with how they handled Sydney at the start of this film. You see it time and time again with jacob you mentioned laurie strode i'll up the ante say nancy thompson in the nightmare on elm street films or tom Tom, Tom jarvis in the friday the 13th films where these characters at the start of the sequels are anxious just completely like fucking shut shut down messes who are carrying the baggage of the previous film here she's like waking up and she gets a call and you just get the idea that she gets these calls all the time now she has caller id because it's the late 90s now and that's the thing that exists Mm-hmm. and she's just like you know she's just like okay yeah whatever you're so and so let me let me read you the laws on harassment and right and she's she's trying to move on with her life you know she's moved away from california she has a boyfriend she has friends she's not hiding right. you know like she's she wants privacy but she wants to have a normal life still and she's still fighting for that and then in the third one they take her to this more shut down place that's much less interesting and they don't really resolve it too much right. um that's why the third one sucks 
third one, yeah. The third one is, is, is very bad. Nev Campbell, yeah, like you said, Jacob, she's great in this. Fucking phenomenal. I think this is her strongest showing as Sydney. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I think it's the strongest showing for all three of the main cast, yeah. honestly. I do. Yeah. And there and and you know, somebody else who we haven't really talked about too much, who was technically part of the um cast of the first one, who has a substantially larger role in this one, Liev Schreiber, who is in this one as Cotton Weary. He's fucking great. Yeah. Like he, you know, he he's good in mostly everything that I've ever seen him in, but Scream 2 was my introduction to him, really. Yeah, me too. Um, as an actor. And I think with this one, he, it's you like get the sense like you're like yeah i kind of see where he's coming from like he's presented as this dickish character who is a foil for sydney but he lost a year or two of his life he has every right to be upset like he definitely he goes in a, in a darker direction with it, I, but he's very justified at the end of the day i think that he has i think he has a right to be upset i do not think that he has a right no. to harass sydney um, and I understand that Gail brings him there in the beginning, but he he's going to let Laurie Metcalf murder her at the end if he doesn't get his way. Like, I, I don't think that there's any bones about He's not playing, like, a great no, guy. No, you know? I don't uh, agree. No. I don't know if I agree. Uh-oh. I don't know if, if... I don't know if I think he was ever going to... I genuinely think I, he was telling the truth when he said to her, I would, I would never hurt I you, Sydney. Like, I don't that. know. I don't know. Well, he let her believe that he might. He let her believe that he might when he could have just ended it. And I think that's like not, I don't think he's a hero. I don't think, I don't think he needs to be. I think he's a fascinating character. And I I do think that he has justifications, but I also think that like, you know, the the reason that he got, you know, sent to prison was because he was running around with a married woman. Like this is a man with a certain amount of sleaze on him to begin with, you know? Yeah, but who hasn't run around with a married woman? I mean, I mean, I have. Right. Guilty. Um, That's a story for another time. (laughs) It is. David Warner. Let's talk about yes, David Warner. Yes, fucking lats. Uh, Fantastic scene that, like, it, it very tidily summarizes Sydney's arc, obviously, and, like, the, the rehearsal scene around it is fucking amazing. The, the original, the um, guy who was yeah. originally going to be Freddy Krueger. Let's not forget that. Let's not yes. forget that. Really? Um, yeah, there's, there was, if there's, I believe there was... I thought he would have done a fantastic he, there job, There is too. one photo of him in test makeup. Um, I think he I think he has gone on to, a, to confirm that he was in contention for Nightmare on Elm Street, but I think he denied that that photo that's floating oh, around was his test makeup really okay but i i i would like certainly like to meet the casting director that had the wherewithal to actually fucking cast him in this role because it really does that was west craven that, whole that was west craven well fucking thank you thank you west once again <laughs> yeah an- another very sloppy blowjob for west craven for this entire cast, i thought honestly. i forgot yeah. david was warner was in it and of course he has just passed and it's i'll, I'll, I'll say it it's one of the few times a celebrity died that i actually cried a little bit because he's david warner was sincerely one of my favorite actors of all time he's Razal Ghul. he is Razal Ghul. yeah yeah he is my god yeah yeah no it's just a great scene i forgot he was in it um and i'm so i'm really glad i watched it today to get ready for this and it was just such a, a wonderful little scene and it's like like he just had that authority to immediately establish himself in a scene and with the character and it's yeah it's a great scene it's a great scene that 
contributes uh, a lot to the movie. As as you said before, Chris, it's kind of a um, he kind of um, summarize not not summarizes, but he basically kind of brings help helps her figure out her next step. Right. Um, just he a marvelous scene. Classes up the joint. Yeah. He classes he classes the joint up significantly. Yeah. Who is who is big around the time in 1997? Like they could have they could have cast anybody, but they they decided to go with him, and I'm I'm certainly glad that they did. He's he, granted he doesn't have a significantly large role, but I'm just glad he doesn't get killed. Right. But that scene where Sydney is on stage and all the like she has her panic attack and she breaks down like he is carrying that scene as much as nev campbell yeah, he is. is and that was that was the secret of, of of that guy and he brought that to over 200 movies and tv shows um we, we yeah one of the one of the all-time greats and it's a and scream 2 is a perfect showcase for for that greatness it's one of many little things in the movie that i just really enjoy yeah and this movie it, it is this movie is just like to me it's like a treasure chest just filled with all these sparkling things things yeah. you know um it, it's 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 not as streamlined or as sleek as the original but i think it's filled with like just as many pleasures if I not so. more for me yeah. um but yeah it's I, I, it's beautiful to look at like the use of color like there's there's all these bright easter egg colors on the sorority girls you know um Sydney is moving into like these browns and like olivey greens as she becomes a more seasoned character. Um, there's a great color story. There's all these like be- big kind of like beautiful locations, but they they still manage to make this college campus feel like as big as it is. It's still claustrophobic because you're not safe anywhere you go. Yeah, you know, no, definitely. Um, it's I love the use of the school, and usually, usually yeah, when you move to a bigger location like that, um, and that was one of the things Scream did a really good job of those, despite the fact that the part um half of scream one it is set uh, in this one house because the party goes on for like 40 minutes it's a it's a big wide open you can get killed anywhere in this in this universe you're not particularly yep. safe yeah. in any one which is a little bit different from some slasher movies no broad broad daylight in the quad yeah. but like it's a great moment yep. it's it's that being Great. said, Gabe, I'm I'm surprised that Portia de Rossi and Rebecca Gayhart lived to see the end of it because I thought they were <laughs> shoe ins for <laughs> meeting the end of a knife. <laughs> you know, it's I think very easily could have been thrown in to pump up the body count, and I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But I also like that they make it out. I like that characters make it out of these movies. Not everyone that's introduced is yeah. there to beef up the body count. Some of them are just there for us to enjoy, and, you know. And, and then there's they certain tropes along. that you expect to, and it's it's Scream Two does a really good job uh, mo- more often than not of doing the same thing that made Scream 1 such a pleasure. Uh, it's subverting certain expectations at times when it's smart to do so. And that's one of the things that, as, as Jacob just pointed out, it's in the movies like these, uh, most of these characters are there for a body count and a lot of them do get killed, but it's not just that. And there are little surprises in terms of how those characters are, are dealt with. Gabe, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was circling to that point by bringing up those two characters specifically because these are the two most like sexually promiscuous mm-hmm. characters in the film. They make references to you know porn, uh, you know that being an ambition of theirs or whatever the case may be. I and mean, they live to see another day. Everybody who's killed in this film um, are genuinely like innocent. Like any one of the like Cece could have been a final girl. You know what I mean? Like absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. She. 
she she had that kind of scary movie knowledge. She drops right into the the language of the the franchise. Like she, she has the movie buff stuff. She's a obviously iconic actress, and that she's bubbly, but she's written written to be smart. Like right, and and the movie is ballsy enough to to use that to punch us in the gut early on. You know, yeah. Uh, well, guys, we're uh, crossing the hour mark. Uh, I I do want to point out that the other big movie uh, David Warner did that year was Titanic. What a spectrum! What a spectrum! Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's 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 another it's it's another it's a lot like the first one for me in the sense that not all of it is it works for me but more does than not and i was not particularly in the mood to watch it today but i re- i thought well i better i haven't seen it in like two years and i don't want to be caught unaware i'm glad that you did yeah well i was pretty confident i'd remember the movie because i've seen it certainly seen it enough times over the years but um i watched it today for the show and it was just it was a pleasure yeah it's it's one that's honestly in pretty regular rotation for me um it's at this point it's it's a comfort it's a comfort movie it takes me back to that time and i feel like it is a great time capsule movie with all these stars right at this moment in their careers um it's it's a pleasure to look at like i said it's a beautiful movie um the story is a pleasure and i think um forwards the the characters in really satisfying ways um that i think is honestly mostly unique in the slasher genre you don't get a lot of um, emotionally resonant arcs for a lot of these returning characters it's it's um i won't say it's something that you don't see ever but it's it's certainly a rarity and was very rare back then um, so yeah, I, I just think it's a really satisfying experience that builds on the first one almost perfectly for me. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. Listeners, I'm sure you've seen the film if you've made it this far, but it's probably been a long time since you have seen it. So go ahead and watch it again. You won't be disappointed. It certainly is probably the best in the franchise for, for my money. I think so. I, I think it's overall my favorite one. A three for three. There you go. Three for three, baby. Well, well, that's our show, friends and family. Like I always like to say, if you had half as much fun as we did then we had twice as much fun as you did remember to follow us on social media on twitter at hounds of horror and on facebook at the hounds of horror go ahead and listen to us on spotify itunes stitcher soundcloud podbean wherever you find your podcasts you'll find us send us your questions for our mailbag or your opinions critiques anything you have to say send it to us on those social media outlets i mentioned or you can email us at the cinemahounds at gmail.com and if you do that you may just get a shout out from us check out the hounds of horror.com for our merch we have lots of stuff there and uh soon enough we'll we'll have uh jacob inman funko pops for you to buy so keep on keep on the lookout for I, that i would not buy Just that. Don't, don't do my forehead to scale please well yeah we don't there, there ain't enough fucking plastic brother <laughs> You. <laughs> it's gonna be the reason why they made smaller action figures in the 80s it's gonna yeah. be, we're gonna actually start a plastic shortage okay, and this will be my last yeah. appearance on the house of horror podcast <laughs> oh no no i take it back please please you don't have that problem. for gabriel <laughs> thanks for listening uh dear listeners for gabriel ricard and jacob Inman. i'm chris bryant signing off for the hounds of horror godspeed and good night. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to create a successful sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore, carnage, candy. And number three, never, ever, under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead. <laughs>